All right, guys, we'll continuing our trek through, uh, through Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. We'll be in here, we've done a couple teachings, we'll be in here like a few more weeks. <laughs> There's a lot in here. Um, Exodus 32, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 18. Uh, again, we've gone over the first six verses so far, and it's a sad story, really. I mean, the people were done with, with waiting. They were impatient. They were restless. They were rash. They wanted to replace the true living God with God's, lowercase g, right, uh, to lead them into the promised land. That's why they said, ask Moses, kind of like told harshly Moses, like, hey, make us some gods to go before us, meaning to lead us. Uh, So this is the chapter where Moses and Joshua find out what's going on with the people. And the children of Israel, they are at the base of the mountain, Sorry, indulging in major sin and debauchery. It's a bad, bad scene. And, and, and it's a tough moment, thinking about this. It's a tough moment when you find out, like one of your friends that maybe you used to know for years, they, they went off the deep end in the darkness, backsliding, you know. Uh, maybe God lets you know about them, or maybe they, they tell you, I've, I've fallen away. Um, you know, I, I've heard this story over the years a lot. Like the person that led me to the Lord and discipled me, they're like off into the world. And now I'm living like, like, let's go, Lord. And they're just, they're, they're gone. They're, off, they're out, you know, and it's sad. They've fallen away. But this is where the true unity in Christ and really true friendship, biblical friendship, comes into play. Like, will you lovingly confront the person or, or criticize them or put them down, you know? Like, Romans 2.1, I was reading that this morning. Romans 2.1 tells us that those who judge others keep condemnation on themselves. And so the judgmentalists, I don't know if that's a word, but the judgmentalists, basically, they're, they're condemning others with, with every condemnation they make. They're actually inciting condemnation on themselves. And so we're not talking about sin-sniffing. We're not talking about fault-finding. You know, God, with, God will deal with those. Like, we're actually talking about, like, a group who forsook the Lord and Moses as their leader, and it's, he's called to deal with them and to intercede for them. And so not tear them down, not disregard them, not go, yeah, yeah, God, they're horrible, get rid of them. No, but to rebuke them, but then to love them. Like people are not just, and you guys know this, but people are not just things to throw away when you don't like something about them. That's how the world views people. Like, oh, I'll use them until I, I can't get any more out of them, then whatever, I'll find someone else. This is how the world thinks. But as Christians, we are called to call out sin, but also include God's love in every conversation and every confrontation. Like, no one's called to criticize, but sometimes we're called to confront as we are led by God. There's a difference, right? And so tonight we're going to see quite a few things in these few verses. We're going to see the result of Moses' intercession, which is good. We're going to see God tells Moses what's actually occurring at the camp with the people. And, and Moses is shocked, you know. Uh, God offers, you know, God, we see God's offer to Moses. We see Moses intercedes for Israel. We see God's anger is calmed. And Moses and Joshua make their way down the mountain to deal with the people. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into these verses tonight. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, the opportunity to gather together in your name to to worship you, Lord, to look into your word, to fellowship. Again, like, uh, like, like my wife said, just to keep you as a center of our lives and hearts. 
And so we just pray that you'd speak to us through your word, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to continue with the Bible study method, just go verse by verse. And verse 7 and 8 of Exodus 32 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So God informs Moses urgently of what's going on with the children of Israel. That is a serious thing. And first of all, notice the urgency with which the Lord just, he notifies Moses about the sins of the people. He's not like, hey, by the way, it's like, no, no, get down. Like, go, go right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. There's debauchery. There's horrible stuff going on down there. Go take care of it. And that's the thing, like, when sin enters the camp, it's time to take action against it. Because when sin enters the camp, it's time to deal with it. I mean, that's, but first, there has to be a recognition, an acknowledgement that there is sin in the camp. And that's the thing. Pride blinds believers from their own sin. They can see everyone else's really clearly. But their own, they don't see it. It's dim, you know? And oftentimes, the same sins that maybe we struggle with, we see in others worse. And we're like, wait, I struggle with that same thing. Who am I to judge them in my heart when that's something that I deal with, too? You ever think you're in a good spot with the Lord and then a hidden sin or a secret compromise, maybe that you've been deceived into, it comes to light. I mean, this is a fork in the road, like a turning point. It's decision time. It's like when you're confronted with your own act, you know, active sin, it's time for urgency. There's an exclamation point. In the Hebrew, this is like, hurry up, like get down, like go, take care of it, do something about this. It's not time for uh, blame shifting, you know, like Adam and Eve. <laughs> and so uh, you blamed, they blamed each other. It's like, it's not time for that. It's time to own up to it, you know. Unfortunately, some are confronted with sin, they deny it, or they disregard it, or they downplay it. And let me just give you a couple examples from the Bible. I was thinking about this, and it, it reminds me of Eli, whose sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were serving at the temple, you know, which sounds noble and great and godly and spiritual, but they were abusing authority, they were taking meat from the people, the best parts that were supposed to be sacrificed to the Lord, they're like, I'm going to take that. They were immoral when it came to women coming to offer sacrifices. Now, Eli should have disciplined his sons, right, and done something, but he didn't. Why? God had said in 1 Samuel 3.13, he said, I have told him I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile, and he didn't restrain them. Now, Eli spoke to his sons, right? He had a little talk with them, heart to heart, but he did not do anything as like a repercussion, because Eli honored his sons more than he honored the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas continued in their evil ways, and Eli did nothing. So now Hophni and Phinehas, they were responsible for their own sin, yeah. But Eli was the priest in charge and their dad. So some urgent action really needed to happen. Something needed to be done. He spoke words to them, but he didn't follow through. Eli spoke to his sons, but didn't take action to stop the immorality or the abuse of power in the temple. Eli chose not to give consequences, and therefore, 
The result was God took them out, all three of them, dead. Now a man of God relayed God's word to Eli and judged me. He said this, he said, Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas, and one day they shall die, both of them. He says, Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind. And so here is an instance where sin should have been confronted right, and dealt with, but was not. And then we also have King David. Now, we know his story. Like He was in major sin. Uh, he was so deceived, he couldn't even see the sin in himself. He was in denial. And see, the Lord had confronted David about his relationship with Bathsheba, but God, see, God commanded Nathan to share a story of a rich man who took and killed a poor man's land, remember? And so David was so angry at this injustice, he wanted to get revenge on this, on this rich man. How could he steal that you know, lamb from that poor person who did this horrible thing? Show me where they're at. He's ready to take them out. I'm going to kill them, you know? Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're that man I'm talking about. David had her husband, Bathsheba's husband, killed in battle by getting him on the front lines, you know, up into the wall of the fortress, and David's immorality was unchecked. So Nathan was led by God to confront David of his sin, and in response, David, he actually genuinely, uh, genuinely repented. And you can find that powerful prayer of repentance. It really is deep and raw and real in Psalm 51. Like, if, if you're like, I need to repent, read Psalm 51, because it's like, it's all in there. I mean, it is, it is powerful, it's raw, and it's just like, it's honest. But he repented genuinely. So he was sorrowful, not because he did something wrong, but because he felt bad uh, about sinning against the Lord and others. So, so Moses was told by God to get down the mountain because the Israelites have corrupted themselves. They made a molded calf, and they were worshiping the calf. And that's what sin leads to. Sin leads to corruption and deprivation and happens when a person is drawn aside by his or her own lusts and flesh. So the people soon forgot God's works, right? God tells Moses exactly what the people had done, showing that wickedness is not hidden from the Lord. He knows. He knows. It's like we're about to start the book of Jonah this Sunday, right? And, um, and so basically, it's like Jonah is running from his calling, right? 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, right? He's supposed to go to Nineveh, goes to Tarshish. And I just, I just picture him, he's going to Tarshish, he's like, oh, finally get away from these, these wicked Ninevites, you know, they messed up and killed my ancestors, they tortured and brutalized them, we'll, we'll find out specifically what they did this Sunday, but it was bad, they were, they were bad people, but God's like, go and preach to them, go and talk to them, and, and, uh, and, and Jonah's like, I'm going to get out of here, you know, he paid his fare and he took a cruise, right, and he took a cruise in the opposite way, cruise ship, and, um, and so I just, I just imagine him like docking and getting off, he's like, oh, here I am. And all of a sudden, the Lord's like, hey, <laughs> I'm here also. Like, where can we go from his spirit? There's nowhere. There's no corner of the earth we can hide from God. He sees everything. He sees all. Now, that's a blessing if you're like, man, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm on fire for the Lord. Now, that's a, a heaps on guilt if we're like, I'm not, I'm not right with the Lord. But he is omnipresent, right? He is everywhere. Nothing's hidden from his sight. It's funny, people think they can hide stuff from God. There's no, no one can, ever. 
And so God said, these are your people who you brought out of Egypt. Notice he didn't say, these are my people anymore. He said, these are your people. <laughs> they messed up, man. Like, Moses, that's you. That's, not, that's, you. that's your responsibility. He said, these are my people in this, in this thing. And so Moses is needed. He needed to deal with it. And that's the thing. Like, when there's sin in the camp and when there's sin between two parties, there, it has to be dealt with. There has to be confrontation. And for that, you can reference Matthew 18. It has to be called, that has to be confronted in love. But why the urgency now? I was thinking about this. Like, Why didn't the Lord send Moses down when it, the first sign of restlessness and discontentment and sin happened? Just the first, the, 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 the genesis of the sin happened. It's like, why didn't he send Moses down then? I, I think God is, is so wise, he allowed it to happen like it did. Because again, he's, he's setting the precedent for his judgment and the consequences of one sin of a person's sin, of people's sin. So what happened? Well, in verse 9 and 10, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen the people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and, and may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. So the Lord states the true character of the children of Israel. They are stiff-necked people meaning they were stubborn, they were hard-hearted, they didn't listen that well, they said stuff, didn't follow through, they said, we're going to worship, we're going to be obedient to you, and this happens. So in verse 10, we see the wrath of God. Why? Well, because sin brings God's wrath to the surface. It's not like God is waiting to be like, I can't wait to judge and take them out, you know? And we say that expression, like, I'm going to get away from you because you said that, and there's lightning going to come down, you know? We're, we're always expecting, like, God's judgment, but when we're in sin, habitual sin, it brings God's wrath to the surface, and it's got to be dealt with. It's kind of like that uh, when you refine silver, you put it in the vat of oil, and the impurities float to the top, and you take the ladle, that's what they would do, and they would get the impurities and throw it out, throw it out on the dirt, and it would dissolve and be dissipate and be gone. That's like when, our sin, you know, when God's wrath comes to the surface, it's like it's time to deal with it now. It's time to scrape that stuff away, throw it on the dirt, and continue walking away from that. But they were hard-hearted. This, this sin, it brought God's wrath to the surface. And we see God's great displeasure with the action of the people when God said, therefore, let me alone. He says, therefore, let me alone. Meaning, the Lord's like, don't intercede for them. I'm going to handle it. Let me alone. I got this. And so remember, Moses is a type of Christ by whose mediation alone would reconcile the world unto himself, Christ, right? So God tells Moses, essentially, if you don't intercede for the people, I will make you a great nation. Moses would have closed on this offer if he was a selfish man, only wanting the best for himself. But Moses preferred to see the Israelites saved and rescued. He'd grown to be responsible and have stewardship over them and disciple them and love them. It showed Moses was the right man to lead God's people. Because if he's like, yeah, you're right, take him out, we'll start over, you know, like Noah's day, it's all good, I, we don't need him. Moses was a type of Christ in that intercession had to happen for the children of Israel to be saved. That's a picture of what, would, what was to come. But Moses was the middleman, right? He was a representative of God to, to man and man to God. And so in verse 11, it says, then Moses pleaded with his God, and he said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? You notice he says, puts it back on him, against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. 
Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So here's what Moses didn't do. Moses didn't do nothing. He wasn't like, I'm just in your presence, I'm in this mountain, this is great, sorry God, I just, I can't, I can't heed you right now, this is awesome, it's your power, you know. He, he did something about it. Moses, was Moses disobeying the Lord? No, Moses was demonstrating his heart for the people. He, was, he wanted to intercede, he loved them, he wanted to pray for them. And so it shows that God honors prayers of intercession. And we've been, we've been doing like a studies on prayer for the last four weeks, right? Prayer is important, it's powerful, we should make it a priority. But Moses intercedes for the people showing that God honors prayers of intercession. He really does. See, the Lord could have just easily taken out the Hebrews if he wanted to. But he gave honor to Moses' heart, to the people, and, and God demonstrated through this the power of intercession. Moses bravely stood in the gap to pray and turn away the wrath of God. And I love what Psalm 106.23 says. It says, Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy him. This isn't Moses controlling or telling God, like, what to do. You know, like, this is the Lord allowing Moses to reveal his heart towards those who he was leading. There's never an instance where we lead God that discounts his sovereignty. You know, we don't tell him what to do. God, here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's where, where you're going to do this time. That's just, I, I feel weird even saying that. Like, we don't ever lead God, ever. That would discount his sovereignty completely. But his prayer in verse 12, turn from your fierce wrath. Please don't consume them. Please don't consume them. Relent from this harm to your people, he says. So basically, Moses was praying, you know, change the sentence of destruction into correction. Moses doesn't pray to change God's plans. He prays to display his heart. And again, he's a type of Christ showing what Jesus would do on the cross for all of humanity. God so loved the world. But notice first, Moses prays giving the people back to God. that They're your people. Remember, your people, you know. You rescued them. Giving the credit for that rescue to God. Not saying, yeah, they're my people, I did it all, you know, I'm just, I'm the man, you know, pat yourself on the back. No, Moses prayed, this will stain your name, or he basically prayed, this will stain your name and make people doubt your goodness, Lord. And so, in verse 13, Moses appeals to God on the basis of his goodness. Like, Lord, keep your promises, you are good, you are faithful, don't break your promises, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob. So God remains good, no matter what happens what people think, you know, no matter what happens, God is still good. He remains good. He's never not good. God is immutable. He doesn't change, right? God is a, a promise keeper, and Moses recognizes this. And then in verse 14, it says, so the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So the Lord relented. He answered Moses' prayer. We see here the power of prayer. We talked a lot about that in the last month, but we also see the compassion of God towards poor sinners. 
and how he is ready and waiting to forgive. He's not ready and waiting to take out, but he's also just and fair, and his wrath will come to the surface if sin, if people are in habitual sin, right? And so he's ready waiting to forgive, but we must pray. And sure, this shows God's justice and wrath, but also this demonstrates God's love and goodness. How, how did God go from wrath to relenting? He went from wrath to relenting. How did, how did that change? What happened? Like Prayer. Prayer was a turning point. And oftentimes in our lives, prayer is a turning point. We think, overthink it. We try to plan. We do all these things, but we don't pray. And they were like, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed. This is horrible. This is the worst. I can't, what am I going to do? And they're like, I don't have nothing else to do. Lord, help me, please. And you pray and you're like, I know what to do now. <laughs> you're like, this is a turning point. I prayed. He, he, you know, I prayed. He answered. He impressed things upon my heart. He made clear situations, doors closed, doors opened, you know, and so prayer was a turning point. It's like we can either pray or we can just be consumed with our problems. What are we doing? Are we being consumed with our problems or are we going to pray? Which will we choose? One leads to stress, one leads to surrender, one leads to difficulties, one leads to deliverance. And we want the latter. We want deliverance, right? We want answers. We want clarity, you know, in this life from day to day. And it goes on in verse 15. It says, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. Remember from Exodus 20. The tablets were written uh, on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. And now the tablets were the work of God. Remember, God, God is by the finger of God, right? And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. You know. But he said, well, it's not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Like How peculiar, like what is going on? God's like, get down there right now. And all of a sudden, it's war. No, it's singing. It's what's going on, you know? Moses, having been greatly refined and flourishing with spiritual maturity at this time, not perfect, but he truly cared for the people. He loved the people. He had a heart for the people. So Moses went from send someone else, remember when he first was called, send someone else, unlike Isaiah said, send me, send someone else to don't take out the people, spare them. Like what, a, what growth. Like we see Moses' growth as we progress through the book of Exodus. But the sin of the people caused the communion between God and Moses to be cut short. He was meeting with God. And sin cut that cord of communication. Sin cuts connection with God. You can't be in habitual sin and also have a meaningful relationship with the Lord. You're not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to bless you so much even though you're in habitual... Like, it's, it doesn't happen like that. But in this case, it's not Moses' sin. It's the people who he's leading. It's their sin. So Moses and Joshua, they came down the mountain. Moses with the two, like, God-inscribed tablets. Remember, the tablets were written by the very hand of God, all, the, all law and morality must come from God's standards and character. They can't be re, rewritten. Now, under the new covenant, God promised to write the law, verse uh, Jeremiah 31, 33, to write the law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. 
But Moses and Joshua, they heard the sound of idolatry, didn't quite know what, what it was at first, war, shouting, I don't know. Like, yet God told Moses to hurry up and go and deal with the people. And Joshua was not at the top of the mountain with Moses, remember? He was like about halfway up, waiting, most likely being fed by manna from God because he was up there just as long as Moses was, right? And notice Joshua didn't make any mini idols or, or pocket calves to worship, right? He didn't do any of that. He was patiently waiting for Moses, you know, unlike the people on the base of the mountain. He was waiting for Moses. He was a faithful assistant. He was a faithful servant. And we're going to see that as we go through and especially get to Joshua. Like Joshua was a faithful servant. He was brave. He was like, like manly. Like Joshua didn't let re, uh, uh, restlessness in, right? He, he didn't, nor did he exchange the genuine for the fake. And in verse 17 and 18. Now, now Joshua, be, he became a man of war, as we know, right? Moses didn't make it into the promised land. He died on the mountain, but, but Joshua was the warrior. He was the one to like, anytime we have men's things, I'm like, oh, look at Joshua. He was a man of war. And uh, he, he led the people into the promised land, had all these battles and conquered the enemies, you know? It's pretty epic, you know? Now, he became a man of war, and he had a military mindset, so he thought the ruckus at the bottom of the mountain, there's a war going on, let's go. Like He was probably revved up, I just picture him revved up and ready to fight, whatever. But remember, Joshua turned out to be a great military leader, entering the promised land, conquering the enemies, doing just massive, amazing, epic things, right? But, but now there wasn't, there wasn't an actual war going on at the foot of, the Mount, of Mount Sinai, right? But there was a spiritual battle occurring in the hearts of the people that was made manifest in the actions that they were taking. There was raging, but it was, it was like a party. And then we looked, we looked at that word last week, the word play. It's, it's all about immorality. The audible sound of sin was initially, you know, was initially happy. And that's the thing. Sin sounds fun, right? But the result is what? I mean, there's a whole huge list, but there are some results of sin. Emptiness, loneliness, confusion, heartache, pain, hurt, destruction, destitution. Sin never pays off. There's never a time where you're like, man, I sinned, and the result was just wonderful. It, that doesn't, it never pays off. It lures you in and breaks you down to the point of eating with pigs, like the prodigal son, in the mud, destitute. So with war, there's a chaotic element, right, an element of danger. And, and idol worship like this involves both those elements, chaos and danger. It is chaotic and confusing because of the forsaking of the Lord. It's, it's dangerous because of the repercussions and the judgment and the wrath of God. That's still a thing. So I think some churches focus all on love and grace, that there's no talk of justice or wrath or you reap what you sow. It's like those are kind of discarded. And just love, just love, just love. But love without the truth is not the gospel, right? It's love and truth. There, there was a lot of noise. Clearly, there's a lot of shouting, but Moses had been notified by God of the sins of the people, and it's not the noise of war, you know, victory nor defeat, it is singing. And so, so Moses and Joshua, they were heading down the mountain to deal with the people. And that's a hard thing, you guys, you know that, like to, deal, to have to confront something like this. Not that we're going to confront two million people and their sin, but I'm just saying, sometimes we have, there has to be confrontation. We're not necessarily looking forward to it, and we're like, okay, I'm not at a good place right now to confront. I need to pray and get ready. But Moses and Joshua, 
They were heading down to confront the people. And again, there's sin in the camp, in the heart. It must be dealt with. Unchecked sin results in worldly living and carnal pursuits. Right? So we see this intense scene. We see God's notification. He notified Moses you know, in prayer. Joshua's faith, we see his faithfulness, and we see the people's idolatry. A lot of stuff's going on. And really, what we're going to look at next week is the, Moses' reaction to all of this, right? Because it's crazy, because God's wrath was like there, and Moses intercedes. I love the people. And then when he sees what they're doing, you don't see a lot of love from Moses. He was angry. And the tablets, like, ah, what? Like, when he saw it, what actually was occurring, he's like, shocked, you know, and anger and Moses prayed for the people before he truly saw what they were actually engaging in. So as we'll see, Moses sees them in in debauchery. He gets super angry, and we're going to see what the result of that is next week. Sorry to leave you hanging. (laughs) But we're going to pray and then have a discussion tonight. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for um, Exodus 32, Lord. We just pray, Lord, this, these are some serious things and serious topics and truths, Lord. We do pray that we'd be able to examine our hearts on um, a consistent basis just to see, Lord, if there's anything not of you, if there's any, uh, what we mask, uh, you know, as liberties, maybe they're compromises, maybe they're hidden sins, Lord. We want to bring those things to the surface, Lord, so that we can get rid of them, so that we can repent of them, so that we can walk blameless in your eyes and in your sight, because no one hides from you, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, for that you're both just and you're loving, you're gracious and merciful. All your attributes are, are just uh, leave us speechless, Lord. You're so good and your goodness doesn't change, Lord. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this, and we just pray that you'd uh, go before us and be with our discussion tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.